You are listening to the Racer to Racer podcast presented by Race 92. Race 92 is a Vintage-inspired racing apparel brand specializing in celebrating vintage race culture and adapting to motorsports today. Check out race92.com for all your racing merchandise needs. I'm your co-host, Aaron Mactia, other co-host you may have seen walking out of a great clip with a big old smile on his face. You've probably seen him at a dirt track. He is the one and only Scott Bowie. Scott Bowie, what is going on? Not much, Aaron. How are you doing, bud? I'm doing great. It was a great weekend. Um, was at the PRI show all weekend. You know, it was definitely great to, you know, check out things there, meet meet a lot of people, you know, definitely made some connections um, and definitely going to already talking to a couple people from that show to get them on the podcast. So definitely excited about those people. Um, and yeah, definitely look, looking forward to that. And ironically, um, how, how it worked out, and we didn't even plan this. This is how it worked out. The episode we were releasing this week, um, it's very ironic that we're releasing it this week after the PRI show because um, it's with Steve Lewis. And for yeah. those who don't know Steve Lewis, it, when you hear the name Steve Lewis, you probably think of nine racing and, and just dominating midget racing, which Scott will attest to um, being involved in midget racing himself. He um, lost a lot of races or saw, got, I guess the word to use would be, he, you got, um, you got beat by Steve Lewis a lot. Yeah. Like always, always, always. Um, Steve Lewis, uh, the greatest car owner in USAC racing history. as far as the midgets go, um, I guess you can make the argument that, uh, Mel and Don Kenyon, Kenyon brothers are way up there too. Uh, but uh, Steve Lewis, man, I geeked out in this one. I talk a lot in this one. Um, Steve Lewis is one of those people that, you know, you compete against, but he's really kind of an idol at the same time. And uh, just how they did everything. And, and the white nine cars were so iconic. Mm-hmm. And they had so many great drivers and, and their mark in all of auto racing is, uh, pretty indelible you know all, all the drivers that come through the nine racing whether it's jj yaley uh, kenny Irwin jr tony stewart casey kane uh and you know the list goes on and on and on and on uh just the very best of the very best mike bliss is another um and uh yeah you know just and he was a guy i'd never really ever met uh, Steve didn't go to a lot of races, especially in Midwest. You know, he was running his businesses at the time. Bob East took care of the cars, and Bob would have to report back and let him know how they did. And um, but yeah, no, I, I just really enjoyed talking to him, and um, very lucky I, you know, to be able to speak to him. He's still, as we speak, the all-time winningest car owner in USAC racing history, midget racing history. Uh, Keith Coons and Pete Willoughby at KKM are closing in rapidly. Um, I think they're within 10 wins, something wow. of that nature. And they'll they'll overtake that, if not next year, the following year. But uh, that shows you how dominant that team was because Keith Coons has been dominant now for yeah. almost 15 years and, and had the very best of the sport drive for him as well. And um it just like he like he says in there that they won and for some of you out there you'll know the name of this race copper world classic was a 
big, big deal for us open wheel guys um, every year in Phoenix. And that was a race that he really wanted to win every year. And I forget, it ran for 25 years or maybe closer to 30. And at that time, uh, Steve's teams won it 13 times. And he won it so many times he didn't even realize he won it 13 times until he was reading the book. So, um, no, it was fun getting to know him and getting to know his story. And uh, I just really appreciate him coming on. Yeah, and um, and Steve, you know, has always been – you know, really, really nice guy. And actually, um, you know, about, I don't know, probably 12, probably almost 15 years now ago, um, when I decided at one point I wanted to, you know, to be involved with racing, I guess we're involved with racing now with doing this podcast and obviously being a fan, but I had reached out in high school to Steve, um, to volunteer at nine racing at the time they weren't racing, um, the national series or anything. They were just kind of doing one off deals and they were doing like the Ford focus deal, um, like the development driver stuff. And I volunteer. they, he, re- I remember him responding like right away saying like, yeah, you know, I could, you know, volunteer at the shop and stuff. And I definitely learned a lot there and, you know, I'm definitely forever grateful for that opportunity. And, um, it's, you know, it was really cool, you know, catching up with them. And, and I, and honestly, like, ironically, I never even had the chance to really meet him when I volunteered at the shop. So to actually be able to meet him now, you know, 12 years later is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, and you mentioned PRI show and PRI, you know, on one side they you know, and like he jokes around their sleepy trip told him he ruined midget racing. Um, he just changed midget racing. By the time Steve got done, the cars were different, the motors were different, the cars were a lot safer than they were when he first started. Motors were a lot faster, and a lot of it was because of the efforts that Steve put into it and. As we find out, um, Steve was really a catalyst in, in having Toyota build midget motors, uh, which right. I didn't even know. And uh, so he definitely left his mark on the sport, uh, but his PRI show left a mark yeah, on good. the racers because it, it gave us it gave uh, a really good organized place for you know racers to go meet their sponsors and go find sponsors and go talk to suppliers and, and, you know, really interact and make those connections that ultimately made the sport better. So Steve's, uh, Steve's fingerprints are all over the uh, maturation of motorsports in the last 30 years. Funny enough, we just talked to a driver um, who's in the road to Indy series, who was just talking about how important PRI was for him this year, going to be able to, you know, meet some of his sponsors and, you know, be involved in that aspect. So um yeah funny kind of how how that works you you know as you were saying like you're talking about how steve had a big impact on midget racing but really i mean he had a big impact on racing in general i mean like you were saying yeah. with pri just think about how pri has changed racing really yeah and you know and, it's, and, and the way it kind of started and it's kind of started at the dome in indy and like around in may and springtime and then it then kind of moved down to Cincinnati for a while and then it come back to Indy and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually it moved to Florida for several years. And man, he just, uh, like you said, he just really changed. Yeah. Very smart, in general. very smart guy. A lot smarter than I'll ever be. That's for sure. Um, and yeah. he just, he, he just, you know, he's just got the business mentality and, 
I mean, you can tell just by talking to him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, he's, I wouldn't say he's calculated, but he's measured. Um, mm -hmm. And people will see that, like he thinks about these answers before he gives them. Um, so he's not a, you know, this is a guy who doesn't really work off emotions necessarily. He works off thought and, and, you know, I, again, calculation, but I'm not saying he's calculating. He's just, he just understands that you can't overreact to things. And, um, I, yeah, and I just, thought it was great talking to him. He actually said he listened. He listened to the the podcast right before um, we interviewed him, which was I think the Willpower one. And he said he really enjoyed that, so it was cool to hear that he actually listened to it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, as far as racing news, I think obviously you have to talk a little bit about Formula One. Um, I was definitely, you know, it's definitely cool to see, you know, someone. I mean, I like Lewis Hamilton. I don't have a problem with Lewis Hamilton, but it was good to, you know, see someone else kind of get their get their chance of the championship and um you know i don't think there's anyone more deserving than max verstappen obviously yeah. he's just i mean he's proven himself this season that he is definitely a force to be reckoned with yeah i you know everybody talks about the officials and you know and i don't watch a lot of f1 just because it does have a lot of oversight and kind of fingers kind of messing with the with the end product from time to time. Um, but that being said, uh, if no matter which driver won, it was the right driver and, uh, they both had great years and, um, I don't think F one's been as popular, at least not in America as it has been the last couple of years. And you can tell by everybody's overreaction on Twitter that how popular the sport is. So, uh, man, hats off to him and, and I, I imagine next year will be even bigger for him. Oh, yeah. And um, it'll be interesting. You know, there's always that talk that, you know, Hamilton may be done. I see he's getting uh, knighted this week. Um, I, I just thought he was that. already not. I thought he was already considered Sir Lewis. Oh, maybe he is. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, maybe I thought it, I, I was reading something here just uh, shortly, and I thought they said he was getting knighted, but maybe he's already knighted. And I don't always understand all the European customs. So. Maybe there's something else going on over there, but uh right, yeah. Um confusing. But yeah, no, it, it was uh yeah, hats off to him, man. What a year for all of it. And uh some other racing news. Uh Chili Bulls coming up. They're starting to build the track. But speaking of midget racing and open wheel racing, it seems as though the world of outlaws have now decided. They're going to get into non-wing midget and sprint car racing. And they're doing special, not special series. They're doing series geared toward those two. That's going to be really interesting. This will be the first time in years that USAC's had a direct competitor. Um, and everybody's playing real nice right now. Um, but, you know, kind of looks like the business model. And they got, a, a, they got probably the right guy to run it in Casey Schumann who has a lot of experience running his own race organization and running the dirt late model series for world of outlaws already. And he's going to, he's also going to run these two other divisions. So what do you think is a motivating factor behind doing that? There's, they see an opportunity there somewhere. Um, the, the, so their, their whole thing is, is 
this can be shorter schedules, but bigger end of year points payout. And the, the purse payouts are going to be bigger, like at per race. Uh, at least that's the way it looks like currently. So I, I, I don't know. World Racing Group, I believe, is a publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. And so it's very possible they're just trying to w- find different ways to kind of add to their bottom line. Uh, man, great question. I mean, uh, USAC was coming off one of their busiest schedules in history, maybe the busiest schedule they ever had in history. Um, and I, I don't know quite what, what the driving factor was in it. Um, at least I don't know it yet. Um, it is interesting that I don't know. It, it, it's interesting because I see USAC all of a sudden announced uh, it'd be like a hundred twenty-five thousand dollar bonus if you can win all three championships. So if you can win the triple crown in one year, um, there's one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars on the line for you. But some of their already some of the guys that could run for the triple crown have already announced are going wing racing with the all-stars they've lost two or three teams to that. So I don't know. I, I, it's going to be really interesting next couple of years. I don't know if possibly world of outlaws saw where they could find areas that USAC's not exploiting and make those work for them. Or I don't know if it's a kill shot directly at USAC. I'm not sure which it is. It would definitely be interesting to see what they kind of come up with. And overall, I mean, I, I love the role of outlaws product. Um, you know, I've been to, you know, several world of outlaw races and there's definitely nothing like, you know, start a role of outlaw races. You know, I think the announcing and just how they, you know, just plan their events out is just, you know, one of a kind. And, you know, I, I definitely. Yeah. It's a lot different it. experience than going to see a USAC show. Right. Uh, USAC show. While I don't, I don't necessarily, because I've been to so many races, it's not that big a deal to me. But if you're looking for, if you're like somebody who's really trying to, like, hey, where I want to spend my entertainment money, um, that World of Outlaws have better bang for the buck. Right. Let's say. So they have more entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that being said, I don't think there's much racing on the, Earth better than non-wing sprint cars and midgets. Um, that's my opinion. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see where this leads. Uh, and the, the midget side of it really is interesting to me because midget racing in so many ways looks like it's thriving on in one level and on another level. Yeah, very few teams taking a whole bunch of cars. And and it's just going to be interesting to see how it works out. You know, you say like the chili bowl, which the chili bowl is a whole different experience. You have people just have cars for one race and they're on pace for 400 cars this year, which would break their all time record by 30, 40 cars. Um, That said, Keith Coons is taking like 14 cars this year. Uh, wow. That is a staggering number. Of yeah, I thought that's not team. And like boats taking five or six, and uh, other teams are taking four and five. And, hmm. 
Um, I mean that none of that adds up to 400, but still that's, it's still, uh, you know, a very small amount of teams taking a whole bunch of cars. Sure. So it's, it, it, uh, Chili Bull will be interesting this year too, and just see how that all shakes out. I'll um, be here before, before we know it. And yeah, we definitely need to start planning out our, um, Chili Bull. Our show. Yeah. yeah. We got to start getting that planned out and, um, start making some phone calls on that and try to get people lined up and so we can have a good show. Absolutely. Well, um, yeah, before, before we, um, get into our Steve Lewis interview, want to thank everyone for listening and watching. If you haven't already, make sure you hit like and subscribe on YouTube. Check us out on Apple podcast, Apple podcast and Spotify. And also, you know, subscribe on there as well. Yeah, please do. And, and, you know, we're closing in on hundred subscribers for our YouTube channel alone, yep, we are. Uh, which I can't believe a hundred people want to listen to me talk, <laughs> but I appreciate every one of you. I appreciate everybody that listens. Please leave com- uh, comments, feedback. Uh, it's always appreciated. Um, even if you don't like my hair, please comment on it. Uh, just, uh, but yeah, anything that anybody wants to contribute, we thank you all. And then as the holiday season starts to close in, um, I don't I, I don't know if we have a show planned next week or not. We I think we have maybe one that we're gonna have for next week, and then we probably take the week of Christmas and all that off. Right. And um, so if you're listening now and you won't be listening then, uh happy holidays to everybody and uh please take care. I think I think we lost at least a couple of subscribers when you um cut your hair. So I think we definitely had some people that were a little upset about that. Yeah, I don't blame them. Um, I it just it doesn't. I'm getting too old. It's getting too thin. It don't work anymore. You should you should have caught me in my youth. It was an amazing mane of hair in my youth. Today, not so much. And the, and the stats I saw said that 85 percent of the subscribers we lost were female. So, right, yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, I can I can see why I would be a, a heartthrob. <laughs> um, man, lost my train of thought. I don't even know what I'm saying now. But um, no, we <laughs> we definitely appreciate everyone um everyone watch watching listening and um yeah definitely stay tuned. We um like I said, we're working on some other people to get on here very soon. Um, a couple, you know, obviously all of them very excited about. Um, but there's a couple that. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to, and you know, can't definitely wait. one curveball in there too. Yeah, one 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 uh, definite curveball in there. But man, if that one if works we can, out, that'll if be we fun work one. it out, yeah, I'll I'll be extremely happy. It'll it'll be um kind of a starstruck moment for me. So I don't really get starstruck, I would say, from doing the podcast. Mario was definitely kind of surreal to actually. I mean, I've met Mario yeah. before many times, but to actually, you know, be able to talk to him for an hour like we did, it was kind of like. Well, like watching well, on the screen, you... and I was like, I felt like I was watching a video, but I was actually interacting with them. <laughs> well, how, how lucky were we too to be able to talk to Bobby Allison, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. What a great guy. Man, what what an absolute legend. Absolute legend, man. Like, if you didn't watch Bobby race, he was such a great racer. And man, it's it's a shame time takes its toll on all of us because man, how how great would it be if we could have the Bobby Allison's of the world competing against the Kyle Larson's of the world. And 
all that, you know, but it won't happen other than maybe in video games someday, but it's pretty cool. I did want to give a shout out to racer collect. You know, we did a little thing with them in the last, last episode. We have Patrick pattern on, he talked about race racer collect. So definitely, you know, check them out. Um, racercollect.com. They kind of have a, a neat, you know, kind of model where they're having, um, you know, they're kind of like a platform for drivers to, you know, sell their memorabilia. And you know it's authentic because it's coming directly from the driver. So, you know, it's definitely cool. And we're definitely, um, you know, here to support them any way we can. Yeah, and if people think it looks really weird what I'm doing with my arm right now, if you're watching, I'm trying to keep my cat from uh, coming into the frame. So yeah, well, <laughs> he's, he's now gotten big enough he can climb up on the table. That's why I closed my door because if you um, remember some of our early episodes, it was, a, it was the um, – <laughs> Scott's battling his cat right now. It was the um, I'm going to keep talking because I, I'm kind of interested to see where this goes. But it was a Pete Halsmer interview. My cat jumped up and fell off the table, but he was fine. yeah. Well, it, so, I don't no, know if it's no, in the bot. So a disclaimer: no animals, no animals were harmed during the making of this podcast. Right? Uh, yeah, if it, it was the Bobby Allison one where uh, oh Simon Pagano here jumped off the. Uh, Jumped up and grabbed the keyboard on the other uh, computer and drug it on the ground. By the way, we were talking about before we before we get into Steve. Um, we were talking about people commenting, and a lot of people have been commenting recently. And there was an interesting comment about um, Pete Halsmer, and I was actually texting Pete Halsmer about it about a, a um, twenty four hours a Daytona story. So we're gonna, I want to probably text him when he gets closer to twenty four hours, and maybe we'll do a special 24 hour show and have, have Pete back on because he definitely, he's, he's a great storyteller. He probably doesn't think he is, but he definitely has some great stories. Oh, he's great. I really, really enjoy I really enjoyed talking, talking, talking to, yeah. to Pat or to Pete. I call him Pat. I really enjoyed talking to Pete. He's a, he's a good dude. Good storyteller. Yeah. Fun to listen to. Yep. Well, um, yeah, so we'll go ahead and, um, get into, um, <laughs> we'll get into the Steve Lewis interview and you know as Scott says he was kind of like a, a kid in a candy store and he was saying he did he does he did a lot of talking during this one but I think it's safe to say Scott does a lot of talking and everyone so and every single yeah. one of them so <laughs> yeah I, I really I really enjoyed talking to Steve and and uh and just because he you know it's just he knows a lot of the same people that were like my heroes and stuff like that. So it was just really fun to talk to him. But again, I, I hope everybody has a great holiday and, and I just wish you all the best out there. And and if we don't, we like I said, we may release another show next week, but uh, if, if this is it before holidays, uh, everybody take care. Yep. Hope everyone enjoy. Take care. Our guest today started a nine racing team in 1979 the team went on to win over 130 feature race wins and 10 USAC National Midget Series championships with drivers such as Casey Kane, Tony Sturt, Kenny Irwin, Jason Leffler, and J.J. Yaley. He also started the Performance Racing Industry Magazine and Trade Show in 1986. We're joined by Steve Lewis. Hey, Steve, how's it going? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. It's fun to be on with you guys. Yeah, oh, no, really, you. really appreciate it. As I was telling you in the email, um, I volunteered for nine racing 11 or 12 years ago. So it's definitely, it's been a while. 
but when we started the podcast, I knew um, you were someone and definitely wanted to try to get on. So we definitely appreciate it. Okay. Well, Steve, um, first of all, again, thank you for coming on. But uh, you and I have what I would say is a shared love for midget racing. I, I absolutely love the midgets. And uh, how did you how did you even start, you know, really loving midget racing? Okay. That's a good question. Uh, are you a parent? I am not a parent, okay. All right. uh, but my parents were into racing and that's, that's how I got into okay. it. So, okay. Uh, I had great parents. We lived out in the country. We lived in a suburb of San Bernardino and Colton. We lived out in a little community called Grand Terrace. And uh, my father was an attorney and my mom was a stay home mom and she cooked breakfast and cooked dinners and made sure we were warm and we went off to school. We were not a car family. We were not, the race cars weren't in the garage. You know, my dad was an attorney, so that wasn't, you know, he didn't, was, racing wasn't something that we even knew about, except for the Indy 500. We always listened to that. But that was the only connection to racing I had as a, as a young boy, let's say, seven, eight, nine, ten. Then one Friday evening or late afternoon, my dad came home, and Fridays was the night for the kids. And there was a little, kind of a little park in uh, San Bernardino called Kitty Land. They had a little train and a carousel and little airplanes that flew around. But we kind of outgrew Kitty Land and that just didn't seem to be exciting anymore. And they, he said, well, tonight we're gonna go to the Orange Show Stadium and we're gonna watch a midget race. And, and if somebody asked me right now, what could I picture? How could I picture? <laughs> I could not draw, I mean, I could draw the Orange Show Stadium because I kind of knew where that was, but cars roaring around there, was was totally foreign and, and never even thought of it that would be something I would see or even know about. So we went and we got there. They were they were warming up. They were doing their practice runs and you could hear the noise and the noise was quite, you know, it was noise. And uh, people were getting hot dogs and we all got a hot dog. My dad bought a program. We went up and were able to get seats quite a ways up uh, right about the start finish line, but towards the top of the grandstands. And whole, I mean, I remember they're still practicing, and I can remember this is, I've never seen anything like this. And that I was at that moment captivated. I mean, it didn't take 10 seconds that this is something very cool. And we were lucky to sit behind uh, this group of people, who one of which the wife was. Her name was Mrs. Cornus, and her husband, Ted Cornus, fielded two midgets, one for Johnny Morehouse and one for Bob Cortner. And Bob Cortner was from Redlands, a really good driver, and he ended up having a problem at the speedway and was killed there. And Morehouse was a hero in that in the URA then. And so she would fill in my dad. My dad didn't know really. Well, he knew a little bit, but not much more than we did. I did. And so my brother and I were sitting there eating our hot dogs, and she said, well, now there's there's Johnny Morehouse, you know, there's Bob Cortner, but there's Billy Cantrell in number eight. Watch him. And he wanted to feature that night. So we begged my dad to go down after the race. We took our took our programs, or one program we had, and Cantrell was sweating and had a beer in his hand and a cigarette in the other. And <laughs> all, the, all his fans were right. I don't know if you know anything about Billy Cantrell, but he was the man at that time. I, I'm very little. I, I've heard the name definitely. But he was you can google him he he was really special and uh he was older 
at that he was, he was called nicknamed the old gray fox because he he grayed young but I, I was probably late 30s and turning gray and he says uh what's your name kid and i said steve and he says good luck Billy cantrell and that's the first autograph it's about the i've only maybe had three autographs my whole life and that was the first one and so it's, it all started right there you know and then we went four or five more times and then my dad kind of kind of they stopped they, they weren't that interested then the neighbor kid down the street's father was more interested and so i'd tag along with him so until i got a car i had to just kind of shoehorn my way with other people going and mostly ura events and then when i was in high school with my car i went there uh to the jc agagenian presents where we'd have uh parnelli and aj foyt and you know foyt would be in the jack london offie and and those were, were great races. So that's kind of how it all, that was how, the, where the seed was planted. Yeah, it's, uh, boy, if you're hooked, you're hooked. And, and uh, I, I've told this story a few times on here. My my very first race, I was less than six weeks old. Uh, my dad worked for uh, Carl Gilhausen, and it was a USAC sprint race. And uh, obviously, I don't remember the race. Uh, but it's been in my family, you know, literally from the day I was born and, uh, man, if once you're hooked into it, it, it just, you can't, it's something you just never really shake. It just well, is. The time that we went if where we lived in San Bernardino, there was only ro roller derby would be the, the thing you, we would go, that would be the major league sport. You know, the Rams played in the Coliseum, the Dodgers weren't out here yet. So this was a form of entertainment. That's I think that's why my parents took us there. But I looked at it as something different. That I saw people extending themselves and doing things kind of almost superhuman to will themselves into a position of winning or getting close to winning. And and that all there's a lot of things that I I was looking at were not so much from the entertainment perspective, but these men that were making the commitments, sticking there. And then, and then it was you know little cages. It was it was hairy then in terms of, you know, the, the, what they had to deal with. And that even as a young kid, I think I was probably 10 or 12 when this happened. And, the, and even as a young kid, I figured that these guys were special people doing what they were doing. So that's kind of what yeah. the part was. Yeah, I agree. They, especially in that time period, obviously I, I come along just right after the cages were added. Um, but uh, man, it's just especially in the days of the open cockpit, and I mean that, that's you know that's a tough tough way to make a living. And, I mean you're extending yourself. But, but they every were making a living then at that mm -hmm. time. They were the URA was probably running at least four nights a week, sometimes five. But Cantrell made a lot of money. Alan Heath made a lot of money. W one story that first night, you know Cantrell won the feature, and we're sitting behind the Cornus group. And they were really nice to kind of, because we were as green as grass. And Mrs. Cornish says, well, you know, Alan Heath may be here next week because uh, he was hurt in, in the sprint car accident in the Midwest. And I said, oh, who's Alan Heath? Oh, he's really good. And, but he lost his uh, uh, left wrist or left hand at the wrist. And mm -hmm. oh, okay. And, he, well, and we're going to, they may do a match race, but then we're, we're hoping that he can come race because he's really exciting. So, but, it was about the fourth, third or fourth time we were there. 
Alan Heath came to the track without a ride. He didn't have a ride. And he had done a couple of these little match races where he and Kent Trail buzz around and just, you know, half speed stuff. And uh, so the announcer made, ladies and gentlemen, we're pleased to announce that Alan Heath will be in this guy's car and will be competing in tonight's 100 lap race, 100 lap on a dirt track, quarter mile dirt track. And oh, okay. And so he, so, I don't know if it was, there was an invert or not, but he started probably third or fourth row. And by the 10th lap, he took the lead hmm. and he won the race. 100 lap. And you, you can look this up. It's a true story. And they had pillow. They had, they kind of held him up with a pillow and they added a, a, a piece of uh, steel from the center of the steering wheel out that his left hook could rest on. Hmm. And his right hand grabbed the wheel at the bottom. So when he went into the corner, his, his right hand like this. So when he went in to, he, to, to, to because he could have leverage, he had the leverage on that one, and then the, the hook just went went along. Because if you didn't, have, if it right. wasn't on there, it'd fly around. And he won that race, and he couldn't even climb out of the car. He was totally exhausted. Wow. And they stood him up. <laughs> and but that was another thing: is that 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 man? He was Alan was always a little bit frail anyway, but here he still hadn't totally recovered from the bruises and battering that he took in that sprint car wreck, and only with one hand. To me, that was probably the most amazing feat I've ever seen. Right. Oh, no, that, that definitely makes. Yeah, that definitely stay with you. Uh, you know, like what you know for somebody like myself watching Mel Kenyon run, yeah, all those years and be so fast. And uh, yeah, I mean, you can we can discuss Mel. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. you oh, know the courage that he had even to, re yeah. to get himself able mentally to yeah. recover. In other words the courage from that day that wreck happened to where he could even drive again. Is the, oh, right. I mean, it's just so, uh, to watch Mel do it for so long and be so accomplished after that was just yeah. incredible. So you're talking about, um, you know, your first few times going to the races. What was your first, like, really introduction to stepping out of kind of the spectator side of things and getting more into that, kind of being involved? That, that's really a good question. And that, came by accident. And uh, the accident is a little bit of a story because I graduated high school and both my parents graduated from Berkeley. So they had me tabbed to go on to college. But my grades in high school were not that good. So I entered junior college, uh, San Bernardino Valley College. And you could go there two years and then transfer to a four-year school. And the first semester I had, I think my best grade was a D and I think the rest were Fs. And that was at halfway point. And I, I didn't know that the college would send the grade reports home. I kind of knew I wasn't doing that good. And I came <laughs> home one night. I came home one night. And uh, my mom had this envelope. And there was the evidence of just terrible. And then he, he said, we're going to talk about this at dinner. And my dad said, Steve, it's, uh, I think the school, you don't need to go to school tomorrow. He says, either you got to go down and join the Navy or find a job. So that's into the school department the direction. And so I went to bed that night thinking, well, I don't know if I want to do the Navy right now. And so I don't know why I did this, but I went to Riverside and I went to this Volkswagen dealership, Economotors Volkswagen. I went in there. Well, my dad had a Porsche. That's right. My dad had a little 1600, 1958 Porsche. 
So I knew about econometers. So I thought, well, maybe maybe there's something I could do there because it was mechanical. And uh, went to the showroom that morning and uh, asked to see who who would I talk to about a job. And they said, well, you need to talk to the owner, Joe Vatone. And I said, okay, uh, here, just sit over here and we'll see if he'll be coming in. So the guy comes in and he has a suit on. He says, come upstairs, son. So I said, I would like to have a job. I'll start, I'll do anything. I'll sweep floors, I'll do anything. He said, oh, well, we have an opening for a mechanics helper. And then you're hired and they come to work tomorrow. So little, I didn't know at that particular time, one of the drivers that was really good at, at the Orangeville Stadium and, and elsewhere during URA days was a, a Riverside driver named Don Horvath. And Don Horvath and his brother uh, were mechanics. And the brother worked at Economotors Volkswagen Joe as shop foreman when I started. He, he left shortly after that. But so because I was introduced to him as shop foreman, I said, You're not related to Don Horvath, the driver. He said, I'm his brother. I said, Oh my God. And, he said, and then I said, I, I like misery racing. Oh, he said, Why don't you come up to our shop in Sunnymead and help us? So that's kind of that got me. You know, I'm here I am working at the you know, Volkswagen store eight to five. And then in the evenings I'd go up and they had a, a nice little Curtis Sophie. And he was, he could win a URA feature once in a while. And, and, and then a USAC race, he was mid-pack. But uh, that's got me from out of the grandstands, which was the big, huge jump from, you know, midway up in the grandstands to being with a, a nice team. You know, it's uh, and that's always uh, was that like an eye-opening experience for you, like going from the stands and then then seeing how much work really went into it. Big, huge, and that the first night, you know, I went up to Sunny Meet and they had a they had a little shop, and it was a single car garage and a little midget was in there, and uh, my first job was to uh, from the week week before the race before was to clean all the, the tires, you know, all the mud off the, because in those days you could run tires two or three different races, they were so damn hard. And mm -hmm. so, uh, so I did that and helped Don take the engine out because Sonny Meyer of Meyer Drake did the engines for Don. And so I helped him the first time, my first night was to clean the tires and then help Don pull the, the engine out. And then he just put it in the back, he had a 57 Cadillac and with a huge trunk and just laid the engine in there. And then he took it the next day down to Los Angeles to, to Sunny. So that's kind of, but all that was like, I, I don't, I'd stay there all night. And, you know, then it was really fun. So how long did you do that for? Did you do well, it? Like, I did that. Well, that I did that. Uh, I worked at Economores only a year and a half and then I got fired. Because I was the guy says you're too good to work here. You got to go back to school. The owner, the two owners, is they were right. And I to this day I don't know if my dad had any part of that or not. I don't think he did, but they called me up. But I, I could work on weekends or I could do part time projects, but I had to go back to school. And so that so now I'm back in school, and doing getting good grades. And this is 1962. And we were we preparing the car for the Thanksgiving Grand Prix at Ascot. In those days, uh, Parnelli, Bobby Unser, AJ Foy in the London car, Cantrell, Morehouse, Heath, they're all still going. 
And I mean, and then some guys from the East would come out. They probably had, I would say that 62 year probably had 45 or 50 midgets, but good ones. And uh, Horvath, in those days, the 20, 24 top qualifiers made the main, and then, then the next 24 made the semi, and then the next went home. And you couldn't transfer out of the semi. So right. Horvath was in the semi, and I think he finished 10th. And he was despondent. It was tough. And, right. But that's also why I learned that you keeping your mouth shut in situations when people weren't too happy was uh, a virtue of importance. And so I, my old job was gather, you know, gather the cherry cans and put them in the trailer, put the spare parts and the snap-on toolkits in the back of the Cadillac trunk and get everything organized. Because we couldn't leave. We couldn't leave until the checkered flag. And then, because right. he wasn't too excited about standing around. Well, for some reason, everything got a little bit delayed. And Cantrell won uh, that race, a 62 race in the London, the sister car to the five that Floyd always drove. But, that, that, but I couldn't, I was happy for Cantrell, but I couldn't show any of that where I was. But that was a big deal for me because that was my first, I got my first autograph from him. Now I'm watching him win Turkey Night. Right. So, I'm standing there next to his brother Joe, and, and they're just not happy at all. And this tall, redheaded guy with a blanket uh, rope up under his left arm comes walking across the track, walking into our pit area, and went right up to Horvath and said, Hey, Horvath, are you tired of running in the semi? And I heard that. And, I, you know, who's this guy? And, uh, he says, are you tired of running the semi? And it wasn't an answer. He was, he was looking around, his eyeballs were rolling around. He says, I'll build you a race car that you can win with. Give me 3,000 bucks right now. I'll go start it on Monday. That man was Don Edmonds. Oh, wow. And uh, I didn't know that. I didn't know Don Edmonds then. And he said, uh, bring this car down. And at that time, this is a very important. At that time, Edmonds was on a contract basis. Uh, with this gentleman who was building the Cheetahs, Bill Thomas. Bill Tom Thomas got the contract to build the Cheetah sports car. It was supposedly to be better than the Cobra and they both kicked butt. And Edmonds played a role in the design of the Cheetah and also was the chief fabricator. And so on Monday, I went with Don Horvath in the 57 Cadillac with this midget, lest the engine was out of it. We took the engine out and took the car down to Bill Thomas shop and met Don, it was like six or seven o'clock at night. We rolled the midget off the trailer and the midget was parked right behind a couple of cheetahs. That, there was two cheetahs like on sawhorses. One had a full body, Don Borth, aluminum body, and the other one mm -hmm. just bare frame. And the Horvath midget was jammed in behind him. And Horvath says, I'm gonna build you this midget. You can go out and win with. And, uh, you know, we hope to have it done, you know, first to next year, so he goes start in the spring to go racing. Oh, okay. And so during that time from, that was late November, early December of 62, probably and it was finished in probably February of 63. We probably made five or six trips down there and I watched the progress of not only the Horvath Midget building, but watched the cheetahs develop. So that was kind of, that was to me getting more on the inside. Now I'm meeting Don Edmonds and then 
Sonny Meyer came one night. He wanted to see what was going on. So now, I'm, you know, these people are, like, to me, at the top of the heap of people sure. know what they're doing. And so we picked the car up around February of 63, took it back. In the meantime, the two brothers started uh, Revmaster engines that they were rebuilding Volkswagen engines and they had a nice building. And so that was where the sh their shop was now. And we took it to Revmaster and then I worked on assembling, you know, tearing down and reassembling, painting the frame, silver, chroming, getting things chrome. I was kind of doing, helping do all that at night. And we put that thing together and, and now no more URA, only USAC. URA is, was really kind of pretty much gone. And so USAC races and the, the, there was two races that we ran before the first win. And he was, ran second to Parnelli, one and third to, Parnelli was basically winning all the races. And the third race at Ascot, the first race at Ascot that year, but the third race in, in the series, we won a race, won a main event. So Edmonds was right. I mean, we went from, he went from a mid-pack semi to running up front and winning a race. And that year, uh, Horvath won uh, four features and was second to Parnelli in the West Coast points. So, and then, but I also learned, I don't know if I'm being- too, Oh, please, oh, go ahead. But, but, but I learned is that, but I learned, and 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 the advance was able to to apply it was Sonny Meyer. He wanted to get more uh, West Coast uh, offy business because you know the Big Naughty was made, doing them up north. Jack London was doing his engines. You know Parnelli had his guy, and a lot of guys were doing them themselves. But but he wanted more more the little offies going back to Meyer Drake. So he came to the race. He gave Don a good deal on the on the on the engine rebuild, but he came to every race on the West Coast. And after at the first practice session, after the first heat race, before the main event, plugs come out, check the plugs. And every if we wanted to go rich or lean, that was his department. No one, you know, he didn't he decided that. And also it tipped the can a little bit for the main event and put some good stuff in there. He says this will make it happier. Pop in it. Yeah, make it happier. I think everybody was doing that. Not, not everybody, but the guys that you had. To oh, I would say everybody was doing it. <laughs> anyway, so that anybody, was, anybody was going fast was. Yeah, and then uh, Don. After every time the car would come in, we didn't. The stagger. No one had a stagger tape. The, you had the right rears were five hundreds and the left rears were four fifties, and it was whether they were more. One was worn more or not. And, and Don watched that and the air pressure. I did the air pressure and it was kind of guessing by gosh, and it was with the tire pump. And then, but Don's big thing is that he lifted the, he felt the, the cross weight was really important for Don. And we, no scales. And he would lift right. up the left front, right front, left ear, right ear. But there was, he had an ingenious mechanism in this car that nobody had before. The front, it was a spring front parallel bar rear car. And in the old days, there were two bolts that went through the plate that, and pushed on the spring. And you would tighten one bolt and loosen another bolt, and that would change the weight across the car. Don invented this, this unique device where it was, almost, it was impossible 
to adjust the weight in the when the cars run around because you couldn't do that. So he had made made a shaft, mounted the shaft across the two bolts, and put cams on the shaft, concentric. So when you pull back on this rod on the side of the car, and it put it pushed down this, it let this one up. If you push the thing forward, it pushed this one down, let it up. So you could, you know, the track is heavy, so you can pull it all the way to back, and then as the track dries out, you can change the, you know, so there's more bite in the left rear or less bite wherever you want. And Horvath was smart enough to figure out how to use that. And th that device was a huge one. Of the, one of the, and then he was selling those after the first or second, we kind of hit it. He built a little aluminum box over it, but people are figuring it out. And, and he was selling those weight jacker things probably five or six every time, every week. You know what I mean? And, and, oh, I and doing that. And then the second car he built was for Doug Carruthers, the second one. And so Ken then, because Ken then Cantrell had one, because Cantrell was driving for Doug then. But that was, but being a part of that. But what was really important, I saw the importance of having an engine man dedicated to your, your program, not somebody in our garage at home thinking he's an engine man, but a real engine man. And also having Don Edmonds there took the, like Horvath before was the one, he was the engine man when he was doing it in URA, they all did it themselves. But he just said, you think about the driving department and we'll make this car fast for you. So he thought about the driving department, the chassis, and so I saw how that worked. And, and it made a huge difference. Now, did you, um, so you, you've done all this and, and you went racing with some of the absolute legends of the sport and, uh, and you, you started doing well in school. Yeah. Did you did you say to yourself at one point, well, I'm not going to be a driver, but I am going to be a car owner? Uh, that's a good question. There was this thing, I have to be honest, there was a, a, an alluring aspect of wanting to sit when to drive it. Okay. Sure. Okay. Well, I get that. <laughs> but how do I say it? I, I didn't, well, first... I'd have to do it under a, an assumed name because my dad would not would not approve of that. So I did get I did get a go kart because Joe Vatone started importing importing these go karts, so he gave me a go kart, and my dad never knew I had that. So <laughs> uh, the the lure the, I, I started them a couple of times when you know when we do the engine to go drive them down Main Street and come back. But that's just was my drive. That was my driving career. Um, I just didn't. I I kind of thought I wanted to do it, but I also thought that there was the element that maybe I didn't want to deal with, and maybe I I, you know, I didn't push that. Right. Like in my own experience, I when I got a little older, my brother raced for a really long time, and my like I said, my family been racing for a long time, and I, I raced a little motocross as a kid because my brother did and when i got older i saw how hard he worked at it and i thought man i i just don't think i can be that good and but i always wanted to be a part of it so i kind of always had my eye toward uh eventually kind of being an owner which i along with some other family members we ended up doing but yeah well i, I, I know i kind of know what you're saying i you know i've driven midgets around a little bit now but to to race and be 
but see the winning you see also i enjoyed the winning that when we, winning was fun sure oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh i'd rather and because people you know and that's what i learned about you know sonny doing the engine and, and don edmonds doing the car and, and don being a good driver and and we were racing against you know we beat parnelli we beat cantrell we beat johnny morehouse we beat alan heath you know we beat those guys and that was kind of fun and, and Scott's, I and I was going to say, in Scott's midgets every time that he raced against you. Yeah, we, you, you were the stuff of nightmares in my life at one time, but that's all right. That's all right. That's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Anyway, so that's kind of how that happened or didn't happen. Yeah, it, especially in that time period. Uh, I don't care if they had cages on them or not. They were still rough. Rough. That's a fair way to put it. I mean, yeah. they were rough. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you move along and did you stay in the sport the entire time up until 79 when you first started? Uh, yeah, okay, kind of how much you want to, uh, okay, you ask really good questions. Okay, so eventually I, I get to San Jose State, I transfer and I'm going to school up there. So this is going to be a little bit of a twist here. I, go, I, get, I get going to school and I was only, it was, I, I went up to San Jose in uh, January of 64. And Horvath ran the midget 63. And no, I went up to San Jose in 65. He ran the uh, midget in 63 and 64, won eight man events. And Sonny got him a ride at the Speedway for the 65 race. The May of 65, Horvath had a ride. And how they, they engineered that, that Sonny would, would provide the engine for the roadster and be there at the Speedway. And Don, they, I don't remember the car owner, but Corvette had a ride. I'm at San Jose State and uh, Don calls me. Uh, well, oh, no, no, I, I missed a very important part of this whole story. <laughs> I got it back up here. Okay, so in 63 and 64, we're racing the Don Edmonds built midget and we're winning races. In August, of 64, there was a race in Fresno Kearney, at the Kearney Bowl. It's a famous little racetrack at the Kearney Bowl. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that time, Bay Cities was pretty, really strong. They had some really good mm -hmm. drivers up there, like Mike McGreevy's and Don Meacham's, and, and a young aspiring racer named George Snyder. And he was from Fresno at that time. So we we'd drive up in the summer, we drive up from Riverside in the 57 Cadillac with the midget. Went up 99, pulled in, and we stay at the Hacienda Inn Hotel. It was a beautiful hotel north of the track. And then uh, Saturday night or Saturday morning, we go over to the Kearney Bowl, and it takes a long time to check in. And then there's two or three practice sessions on pavement. And on, on each practice session, he was just, just zoom, 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 just, you know, passing people. And uh, qualified, I think, first or second. And, but they had an eight car invert and Snyder was eighth. So George Snyder in the red Stanton Offy is on the pole and Horvath in the pretty little Horvath midget number two then started eighth or eighth, eighth. So 50 lapper, throw the flag and the Kearney Bowl was packed, all Fresno people. And Snyder then was from Fresno. And so he had the whole joint rooting for him. And Snyder off he goes, and there was two ways to run the Kearney Bowl, and the fast guys kind of took the, they just pointed the car right up the top, and it would quiver, 
and go down the back straightaway up the top. It had a little bank, not, not as severe as San Jose, but a nice little bank. So off Snyder went, and then off Horvath went. And so about 25th lap, about halfway through the race, we got into second place, but was a straightaway behind Snyder. And so four or five laps, boom, Horvath's right on Snyder's nose tail. Little hard firestones, right rear. And uh, off they go. And he's around in formation like that for about eight or nine laps. Just, just together. I'm wondering how long is this going to last? Well, it didn't last too long after I thought about that because what happened going into one, Snyder gassed it a little bit too much, spoke the right rear, got he just went a little bit sideways. Horvath hit him in the tail, and Snyder spun all the way down to back straightaway back into the wall. 4,500, 5,000 people, the booing was quite strong and all sorts of <laughs> other words. So they started Snyder. He, he just bent the rear bumper a little bit, and then he started back there, and Horvath won the race. I have a picture downstairs in my little room of J.C. Agajanian presenting the winner's trophy to Horvath, and people in the grandstands are saying every – non-complimentary word quite aggressively and Agajanian they both are kind of looking at the stand and no, no one's smiling and I had a little jacket that had Revmaster Offie on it I took the jacket and folded it and put it in the toolbox because I wanted to be brown paper bag I didn't want to have any affiliation with anybody because I could see that this thing was not going to be pleasant and I think they would be lining up, not asking for autographs. I don't think that would be too high on the list of importance. <laughs> so Horvath came back to the trophy. He said, Steve, go get the car. We've got to get out of here. So I got to go back in the back, the, out the back gate and get the car and the trailer. We load up. And there, I had a friend with me. So there's the three of us. And so we drive out. Oh, it's, Jesus, we got to go to the pay line. And the, the pay line, uh, <laughs> was in a bar behind turns one and two. There was this nice, cool little place where they had the red, red booths in the bar. And, and Agajanian and, and I think Don Basile then had a card table at the end of the one end of the bar. And they had all the 150s and 20s stacked up in the pay sheet. And, that, and then we were fourth or fifth in line. Got there pretty good, fourth or fifth. And all the, the girlfriends were already in there holding the, the spots for their driver buddies. And so we, we go right to the line. And Red Stanton, who owned the car that Snyder was in, uh, was second or third in the line. And so he goes up. And he's ahead, a couple ahead of us. So he goes up. And the, the guy that was ahead of Red, you know, he finished 10th or 12th or 5th, got three or 400 bucks. He saw Red and said, hey, what was this? Fucking Horvath, can I say that? Or that Horvath guy. Sure. Sure, Horvath guy. <laughs> you'd have picked up, it was 5,000 to win. And then that was a lot of money. Oh, yeah. You'd, you'd buy it's a lot of money now to me. As I was going to say, it's a lot of money now. <laughs> so, he, so this guy turns around, and that guy stuck the, the, the needle in him, and he sees Horvath right behind me. And I'm watching this kind of like in slow motion. And he starts walking with his 350 bucks for 13 and already been primed, pump was primed, and you could be walking with 5,000. What's the big difference? And he didn't look friendly. And so, and Don was a bit distracted. He was talking to somebody or looking somewhere. 
And the guy kept walking closer and closer and I knew something was gonna happen. So I, I thought I'm gonna put my hands out just like that. And I said, Red, let's talk about it. Let's talk about this. And I never got, I got the word let's out and he hit me as hard as you can hit somebody with his right hand, boom, right there. And that's landed square and just boom, I went down. And then the melee started. And it didn't last 30 seconds or it didn't, it's, you know, that wasn't that long. And I remember getting up off the floor and there's this, this big like bump there. So we got in the car and went back to the Hacienda Inn and had our steak dinner in the mermaid room, which we watched the uh, mermaids swim around. You know about the mermaid room? No, I, I've never heard of that. <laughs> well, it was a, a swimming pool. Mm -hmm. They had an old glass. The bar was subterranean, and because okay. the dining room was closed, but you could still get a steak. So, uh, if you if you Google Hacienda Inn Mermaid Room, you will see the bar and the eight stools. And we sat on one of those stools. This hotel is, is torn down now, and had our steak. And the bartender gave me this bag of ice that I held on my face while we enjoyed our steak. But the problem with that. So we go home the next day, Sunday, and there's a telegram at Horvath's house in Riverside where USAC suspended him and took his points away and did a bunch of stuff. I mean, pretty heavy duty. And then he sold that midget to the Gearharts and uh, they put Snyder in it. <laughs> so we had, Horvath doesn't have a midget now. And then right. that's when he got hooked up with Doug Carruthers. And he, he ran second turkey night that year to Parnelli and Doug's car. And then when he came up to San Jose to run Vallejo Speedway in Doug's car, he was killed in it. Oh, uh, I didn't know that's how he was killed. Yeah. That's, so that's how that's how the end of the Horvath stuff. So up to the, yeah. so before 1979, which is the first time you were actually part owner of the team. So was this a car? Was this team just owned by Don then, or was no. he? Okay, so the, for, I kept, so during the Horvath era, Don and I are, I, I saw a Don as somebody of value. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then, so I was in the motorcycle industry producing trade shows and publishing this motorcycle magazine. And so I did a couple of catalogs for Don, helped him with his catalogs and did the, photographed all the parts. So I kept the friendship with Don as a, you know, post Horvath. And Usually every Saturday I'd go to a shop and we'd have breakfast at this place. And then, uh, then I would, if there was a catalog we'd work on or, or, or I was just there. So, so that was going on up until this famous phone call. So it was the, probably 1978. I was mid, mid morning and I was, our, our office was in Santa Ana and Don's shop was Anaheim. So it's mid morning. And he calls me up and says, "Hey, Steve, uh, let's. I want. I want. I want I, let's go to lunch today." And he's never done that. So okay, I'll see you. So there's a little in, in where his shop was. There was a little hamburger joint. So we sat down for lunch. And he said, "Hey, Steve." He says, uh, "You've always wanted to own one of these midgets." I says, "Yeah." I said, "Well, you're now an owner." And I said, "What do you mean? Well, you just got to give me thirty-five hundred dollars because we're going to build you a little four-bar." <laughs> Same thing he did. We're going right. to build a four-bar midget with an autograph in it and uh the reason reason he did this is that doug he always had doug was always his guy but then doug went over to grant king and that made don mad so uh 
I didn't know about that until that lunch. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'm in. And I sent him a check for 3,500. And uh, he built the frame and, the, and uh, the car was coming along and I go up at, the, at nights, help on the assembly process. And we had everything but an engine. And it was sitting on Don. Don had a big fabricating table. I remember the midget was sitting on the, the bars were sitting on the table and we were doing some stuff. And uh, I told Don, I, I, I got to go. I'm going to be gone for about a week. I got to go back east and, and see some customers. And one of the customers, one of our biggest customers was Fred Fox. He owns a company called Parts Unlimited. He was, he was our biggest mm -hmm. customer. And I'll be back in four or five days. And he, then Don says, well, you know, when we get this thing done, we're going to either put Vukovic or Bettenhausen in it because we're going to go back there and kick ass. So oh, that's great. Fine. So I go back the next day. I get on the airplane and do my rounds. And then the last person I spoke with, my last meeting was Fred. And that was on a Friday up in Janesville, Wisconsin. And Fred's a really good guy. And his, his business was really developing. And, and he, he bought full-page ads every month. And then he had three big, uh, big exhibits in the trade shows. And he said, let's go to dinner. Oh, okay, so go to dinner. And, and he said, what are you up to? And I go, oh, I'm, I'm going to build a midget. I'm building a midget. And he says, you are? I said, yeah, I'm going to build Edmund's midget. And he says, well, then you've got to stay overnight because tomorrow night's Sun Prairie. And I want you to meet my brother, Stanley. I knew a little bit about Stanley. I think, I, I think one time I saw him out here run, but never met him. Okay, so I stay overnight. We go up to Sun Prairie, and Fox had, Stanley then had a uh, an Edmonds Sesco. Pretty, it was pretty grim shape. Uh, it had a cage on it, but it well, it wasn't it was not maintained very well. But I mean, it was fast, but it, it was not a pretty car. That night, quick time, win win the heat, win the main, run around the top of Sun Prairie. I mean, faster than crap. We come down to the infield and uh, after the race and Fred introduced me and he says, hey, St I want to meet my friend Stanley. I want to meet my friend Steve. He works for the motorcycle there news and also he's building a midget. And Fox, before he, the word midget came out, Stanley, count me in. <laughs> he said, count me in. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, I said, right now, like you got, you got two ahead of you. You know, Bettenhausen or Vukovic. Oh, I'll give out that. You've said about those guys. Just tell me, I'll, I'll, I'll be a part of this. I don't know if you knew Stanley at all, but that's, he was 10 steps ahead of everybody. So I, I met him several times, but to say I knew him, I did not know him at all. You know how you just talk to people at the racetrack? Um, one thing that always impressed me about Stan, he moved easily through life, uh, yeah. meaning that he could talk to everybody. Um, everybody. It was good. Yeah. So, yeah. I get on the airplane on, on Monday, coming home, arrive at LAX and get my car and I drive right to Anaheim. And uh, I pull up in front of Don's shop, probably around one o'clock or two o'clock, whatever it is. And go in there and he's in the back. And, Lewis, what are you doing here? I said, I'm back. Oh, I'm good. And little Mitch is still there. I said, hey, Don, uh, I need to talk. Okay, I have to go to the office. Cause you, you never, you Don, if you talk, you go to the front office. So we sit down and I said, he sits down and he had a roll, roll up top desk thing. And 
little chair and I'm standing up. I said, hey, Don, I think I found a driver for our, our deal here. God damn it, Lewis. You've been a car owner now six weeks and you think you know everything. I said, no, Don, I, I understand. But I think we should carefully look at this because neither Bettenhauser or Vukovic could commit to a full, I mean, we, right. they, they could come in and run once in a while, but, but they're driving any car, we're driving dirt cars, driving sprint cars, and we'd be way down the list. And he says, you don't know, he's, you've been, you know, it was, he kept going on this, you've only been a car owner six weeks, and now you're thinking you know everything. I'm gonna have to check up on you. So he calls Howard Linney. And Howard was Don's biggest customer. Mm-hmm. Yep. I owned, we owned probably 30 mag wheels, Halibrand mag wheels. Every one of them said Linny on it. Says, Every one of them. Yeah. But he, you know. he, he was the man. So yep. uh, he called Howard. And I think Howard must have been, well, he must have been at home that, for whatever reason. And uh, he says, Howard, Lewis, I mean, Lewis has been a car owner now and he keeps telling for six weeks and he knows everything. Who, who in the hell is this varmint guy up there named Fox? Some varmint guy. <laughs> and Howard said, oh, Stanley, he guys, he's, he's quick. He's really fast. He's a little wild, he, but he's fast. Uh-huh. And Edmund, what do you mean? Well, the, guy, the, guy's, the guy's quick. He's really good. And he can beat, he beats people. He's driving a pile of shit car. I mean, it's not maintained right and there's no maintenance or anything, but he's quick. And then Howard's wife, Jerry Linney, they had two or three phones in the house. And she, and she always, when Howard was on the line, she'd pick up the phone and listen to the conversation. So pretty soon, Jerry's on the line. And she said, Don, give, it, give him a chance. Give Stanley a chance because he, he can do the job for you. And then I was watching the wheels were spinning, you know, with Don. And he says, all right. All right, we'll do it. All right. And then Don turns to me after he hangs up and says, Okay, Lewis, call your varmint friend. He has this is Monday. And there was a race at Ascot on Saturday. He has to be here Thursday noon with a trailer, wheels, and tires. Because we didn't have we didn't have we we have midget sitting on a fabricating table. Okay. And engine right. autocraft engine was in there. So uh, Stanley gave me his business card. That's all I, he gave me a card and there were all these numbers, he put all these numbers. It wasn't just one number. There was four or five numbers with Wisconsin area codes, but not, not like that's his office or it's his home, it's just for numbers on the card. So I started calling numbers and they were all bars. <laughs> they were bars. And so about the th <laughs> I, I got down to the third, third number and I said, is Stan Fox there? Yeah. He's here. <laughs> so, hey, Stanley, it's Steve. Look, you can you be here in Anaheim on Thursday by noon with trailer, tires, wheels, and fuel cans. We need fuel cans. Yep, I'll be there. Hangs up. That's all he said. I'll be there. So on Thursday around 10.30, I go up to Edwin's shop. And he says, your man's, Edmund looks at his watch, he says, your man's got a half hour. I said, he'll be here. And like, it's now five minutes to 11. He's not here. I'm thinking, oh my God. Oh my God. And like 10.59, this uh, Dennis Kirk van, Dodge extended length van with on two wheels comes screaming around the corner. 
this little trailer bouncing behind it arrives, you made it. And that's how it started. That's crazy. What a great time period that was too. Uh, you know, you had Stan, you had Kevin Olson, you had, um, your buddies. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, you had Stan, Kevin Olson, you had, uh, you know, the Winnie's about that time, the Winnie brothers, you know, you know, you had, yeah, it's sleepy. I mean, you had all you know, uh, Lonnie Crothers. Oh, and you had all uh, these, all these racers. Carter, you know. Well, he was gone by the end, but but he was all those times. Right. Good, good guy. Those are good days. Yeah. So you know, you and Stan, of course, you know the rest is almost kind of history in terms. You know, you ran that year and you guys had success pretty quick. Yeah, they I mean, did. He was he was quick. He was quick. Well, the the other thing that. Don, you know, after the first race, we, we ran the semi at Ascot. That first race, we ran the semi, and we Don didn't have it soft enough. He had to, he had to get soften the bars because we were just on top of the racetrack. So we fixed that. But then Don called me up for lunch again before that. Right after that race, he says, "You know, I've been doing some homework on your on our man. Now he's home, our man." I said. I said his, his mechanical prowess is uh, a bit slim. And he says, uh, we need to get Howard in on this program. So to go with, either take the car or go be at every race and just manage it. And, and I said, okay. And he said, and then I said, and then, and then we'll probably have to paint that black to look like a Howard car. And I said, that's, that's okay. And so we painted the, the livery of the car was number 97, which is one of Howard's numbers. We put a 97 on it. And then it had Lenny Lewis on the hood instead of Lenny, but it was the same lettering. Uh, Paul Nerum just copied the Howard look. And so Howard went to every race and, and that really helped because Fox's idea with maintenance was go to a, car, a spray wash after the race and spray all the dirt off. And that was maintenance, that was his. So Howard went. And, and that really helped. We were we had a lot of quick times. We won a lot of we won heat races. We, our first main event was uh, Anderson, and we only won one main, but we did good enough to to be ninth in points. And we didn't run every race. Right. What was the team name when you guys first started? Because this is way before nine Lenny races. Lenny Lewis. Lenny Lewis. And the one win, uh, if you go through the U stack, all the wins. The first win was. The owner Lenny Lewis, even though Howard wasn't the owner, the car was entered as Lenny Lewis. I I paid the bills and we did everything, but but Howard was a huge part of the success we had. See, I didn't I didn't realize that part of it. You know, I it's, you know obviously I, I wasn't around you guys that much. You know, watch you guys run that much, especially that time period. So I, I wasn't aware of that. And it was so funny that when I saw that. Because how I always think of your cars, the white nine cars, they're iconic. I mean, it is. And and you can say white nine and you know exactly what you're talking about. And, and it doesn't matter what level of racing you were at one time. When you'd say the white nine cars, they knew who they were. And the Howard Lindy cars were like that at one time. Oh, that worked. Uh, yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, there's always – there's some liveries that just – you see them. I mean, they're just – to me, iconic. Are number eleven. There's a lot of Dale Earnhardt. You know, your your nine, 
his uh his black with the gold you know whether it was a 96 or 97 or the 99 um and then you know the knippers with their yellow 55 car or the wilkies as later they had there was also an expression of the ownership or expression like the knepper program that's you know in the elder cattle i mean and that was so cool or the kincaid cars or the you know the the shannon you know there's that was they were it wasn't just these cookie these the midget racing now the way they are it's still kind of a good show but i I still like the look i don't like the way it is but that's it can date me or whatever but those days each little team had its little look right and uh it was kind of nice yeah i i agree i that that was always something because you could immediately identify the cars and and then Don's uh, cars are always they're just absolutely beautiful. The lines of the his cars, especially a Cesco car, and well, they all all it progressed, but they're just beautiful. They're and then there was other other cars had looks too, and they were craftsmen building these things. Right. Yeah. Um, so you guys go along, and and then how many wins did you have between like say seventy nine and then? Uh, what was it? Eighty nine oh, when you hooked we, up with okay. Bob? Okay, yeah, we we had win. Okay, we had one in in, in seventy nine. I think we ran eighty. Eighty was the first year we ran. We had one win. We might have had another because Stanley would go off on these excursions. We had one USEC win. There might have been a somewhere we he went somewhere in, in race. Right. But I don't. I can't. And then we had probably one or two wins a year from that point on. Uh, because the, the, we only ran that 97 car that one year and then Dennis DeVay purchased, purchased it and Danny Penns ended up in it. Sure. Always fast around Chicago. Yeah. He ran, yeah and they kept that thing beautiful too. And he went yeah. and I, I got back eventually, but that's another Yeah, thing. I saw that. Yeah. So, but he, so that, that, so that, and then we ran the coil car and we won, mm-hmm. we're averaging probably two or three races and Stanley was, Still wanting to be an IndyCar deal, and he had a deal there with the leader card people, Wilkies, mm-hmm. uh, for a year, and so he didn't run that much. And then we ran the Super V in '81, and then uh, we were running. We were only running ten or twelve races a year. Maybe we could win one or two. So I think before we got hooked up with Bob, which I think was '85 or '86. What? Yeah, I wouldn't know. I thought it was like '89. I thought the first beach oh, no, car was no, like '89. No, no, that was not, no, it wasn't that. Okay. I was '86 or '87. So I can find, if we need to know for I can find out. But oh, uh, <laughs> that's when everything really changed. Uh, because what hurt us, Don sold his business in '82, and and so he went into not retirement he went working out of his home and and doing the stuff with the millers and the building the model cars and all that and he we were still friends but he didn't wasn't quite as helpful it's pretty he didn't have really reason to be right. and we were doing it on our own and we could run up front but we weren't a, a, a fact we we could win if everything was perfect and everything, you know, I mean, it wasn't, wasn't like with Bob East and in that era, but so I think, I think between that first year where we won one 
until we got with Bob, we may have won six or seven more features, but they all still had the nines on them. But they, they right. were, and they were okay. I mean, we were we won the feature. And we had the car I have in my shop. It was an '81 Coil car, or '81 or '82. It was '80, no '82 because number 400. It's the last car that came out of Don's shop. So I got the last car, 400. And that car won the Milwaukee in one year. It won the Milwaukee Mile, the Phoenix Copper Copper World, and the 50 Lapper at Ascot before Turkey Night. So that was a good year. We went ran it, sure, four times and won three races. Right. Yeah, it's a great year. So a 750 winning percentage is pretty good. Yeah, that, but that, but you know, uh, so that was that car. I have that car at the shop. And then we, the next call car was a total disaster and Stanley wouldn't drive it. And it's the famous car that put Danny McKnight into retirement. It was a mess. Well, those, uh, you were talking about those, uh, four, those, those four call Edmonds, man. I just remember the photos of all of them, especially the big fast joints when it's heavy. And those things are buried on the right rear and they're carrying the left front. And man, those are some of the most iconic shots in, in yeah. racing, whether it was yeah. whether it's Stan or, or Sleepy or, or who whomever, you know. Yeah. But uh so you get hooked up with Bob. Yeah. And then magic happens. Yes. And you, that goes back to when we talk about Horvath, Bob was a, wanted to he had a business that he wanted. It, it, we had to win. You know, we couldn't go run around and be, be stupid and be 14th. That didn't Bob. That wouldn't be correct. Mm. And so Bob, not it ended up being all the right thing to do. He pretty much my involvement in how much tire pressure in the right rear was zero, and 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 that was the relationship I had with Bob. And it, and it was right because it was a business for him, and. And so he, uh, Fox and Jeff Gordon had those two little beast cars that one year and tore up the place basically. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and Bob's business as a result. And then we also had a Gertie program and mm -hmm. Earl would come to the races, like just like Sonny Meyer did. Earl would, because he, he wanted to get that, that little four cylinder program going. And he was a good engine and, and Tim Sosby was involved in that. Mm -hmm. And so they, they would come and manage the engine department and Bob, was a genius with the chassis, and uh, so. Well, you guys started a revolution uh, in the sport, um, starting in that time period. You know, whether it's eighty-seven or eighty-nine, ninety. Um, man, it, it was there was a, just an explosion of midget racing. Well, um, yeah, Bob East had a lot. I mean, his cars yeah. were good, and he had at one time. I mean, the, like the main event. For one time, I would say it was as much as eighty percent beast cars, and he had some oh, really, at least. really good owners, you know, uh, buying them those things. And uh, so, and then Bob really liked pavement, and mm -hmm. you know, he I think he revolutionized that too. Like his pavement cars. Well, first we had little combo cars, and then we change them over. But then he built, start building with the offset, and uh, he, yeah. And they, they were, man, they were just so good. Uh, and you guys were so good. And uh, and then you guys, for whatever reason, I'm, I, I always kind of wondered how this guy started. Then you started adding cars. So it went from being like one car to two cars to three cars. That started fairly early on. See, Fox came, it was 
the whole Bob East situation developed when they were in New Zealand. Bob was down there, I think with Stanton, for Fox. And um, the, the beast, Bob wanted to do something on his own, like Edmonds wanted to do something on his own. And so they said, we'll get Lewis to be the owner and kind of like Edmonds did. And, and so that was hatched in, in, in New Zealand. And then, uh, so, uh, but Bob wanted to run for points. Bob, uh, the first couple of years, we ran a lot of races, but if, if, if there was an IndyCar race or something that Stanley wanted to do or whatever, he didn't run, he, he never ran all right. ever. And that was frustrating for Bob. So that's when we got Stevie Reeves. Yes. Uh, that was probably maybe one of the most underrated drivers of his generation, even though he won championships. Yes, he was really good. Yeah. We got him in 92. And um, so that's what now we have two cars. So that was the reason we had only one car until Reeves came on the. And so we had one for Reeves and one for Fox. And that we did one year kind of hit and miss. And then the second year, no, I think we, that, Reeves came in partially in 91 and then full time in 92. And he won the championship. Yeah. So that's how. So then we had two cars because we always had to have one for Fox. Right, sure. Right. Yeah, this one sitting there. So that's how we always had two then from that point on. And then the more car thing started developing kind of after Tony Stewart because he always wanted to come back. So then we'd have the two cars, one for Fox or one for Reeves. And then Fox got hurt. And then we'd had, so we started running two cars almost with full two, two full-time guys or one, or because Tony came back after 95, he ran quite a bit mm -hmm. after that. So that's, we got in these traps after the graduates that went on wanted to return. You know what I'm saying? So sure. Uh, that's what was Tony's, what was Tony's first year with you guys? 95. I think. He, um, yeah. And then Irwin, and then Irwin was 96 with the Ford. We, that's when we switched over in 96 to the Ford head paint. Right. Well, it come, so that deal originally started with Paige, right? Like he brought those Fords over. Well, it was yeah. Vesco was Don Vesco was building them and yes. with a little support with the Yates, right? It was the Yates. And had some issues. It had oh, some yeah. issues uh, with him. The Parnell, when the Paige ran, he wanted because Parnell always had an affiliation with Ford. Sure. Yeah. So, but when Paige first started running, we was we was running that Buick we had, which is another deal. Yeah, that Buick V6. Yeah. So, uh, but then we finished the Buick. Well, actually, Mike Bliss finished the, almost finished himself in the Buick off at Terre Haute. When he oh yeah, the front absolutely. And he went out. It was it. It was amazing photo. Uh, you know, very spectacular. Yes. That so that put the so then we ran it the, the last ran one more time after that and it caught on fire at Eagle Creek or the week before Belleville. We always run Eagle Creek and it we had a huge fire with Paige in it and. He says, I, I won't drive that anymore. I said, well, I don't right. think I'm not going to be driving this anymore. So that the Buick ended. So uh, Parnelli requested that Paige put his little four-cylinder uh, engine and his little Ford in. And it was strong, but it never lasted, wouldn't last a feature. We could get through qualifying in the heat, 
and usually halfway yeah. through a feature and then it would would blow up. But so we one time at one time, one race at IRP, we had a Gertie in one car, a Buick in one and a Ford. It was like an engine builder convention. All these people because you know Gertie's with a was with the hiss and you know it is funny. But anyway, so uh then the horrible you know occurrence at Eldora with Paige so I had the engine here. It somehow ended up in my shop here. So I put it in the back of my Suburban one day, sandwiched the engine in between two Hoosier tires and had it in the back of my Suburban. And I called Parnelli and I said, I want to bring your engine back. He says, I don't want the engine. That's, I'm done. Yeah. So oh, I'm halfway yeah. up the freeway. And so I called Ed Pink. And I said, hey, Ed, because we, Ed, we've been talking to Ed about doing an engine program. And so I said, hey, Ed, can, I got something in the back of my Suburban that we might want to look at. Oh, okay. So he wasn't that pressed with what I was going to be doing here. But So I drive up there, and and I we the engine, he, he back, go to the back of Ed's shop, and he's got a little uh, hoist, and we pulled the thing out of the back of the Suburban, dangling on the hoist, and Ed's looking at it. And, and I said, well, we might want to rebuild this, or this could be a start of a program. And he says, well, we're not going to do anything until I examine the engine head to toe. And I may have an answer for you in two weeks about what we're going to do. Okay. So I leave and two weeks, two and a half weeks or so, he calls me and says, well, I've, I've gone through that engine. He says, we're not rebuilding it. It's, it's a mess. And he was right. And, you know, it was a, Fesco was an ingenious man, and there was a lot of things in that engine that were good, but there was a lot of things that just weren't, and that's why it was the way it was. But he said this head is really good. And those were the heads, the same heads that were uh, on the number 28 car. Yeah. And those heads, if, I, if, you, if you, they were very special. Right, yeah. Okay, so he knew, he, he called up, those guys and and send me a few heads so he sent two or three heads and then we put an aries block under it and curl rod mm -hmm. and, and then ford debuted at the copper world in february of uh, 1996 and we almost won the race we lost by an inch the um in, in that whole time period was was had to be such a rocket ride um just because you're winning seemingly all the time. Well, but you, it was not, and you, it was and you have all the best there. drivers. I mean, I'm talking about kind of from that beginning. And you've, and you've got all these great drivers who come through this program. I mean, you know, whether it's the Stewart's, Blisses, Paige Jones, Kenny Irwin, uh, Casey Kane, Jason Leffler later on. I mean, just on and on and on and on. These great names, Dave Steele. He greatest payment generate he would come and yeah. go yeah uh just did were you able to enjoy it or was it oh, or I, are you so focused on winning okay you asked very good questions not only did we were doing what you were saying and this was all happening and running the two and three cars and starting out with an open trailer and then a little 18 footer and then and then a, the hauler thing uh i was also we we're operating a business and then also my son started racing. So I had my son racing quarter midgets. 
we had the real team zooming along and then we had a nice little company doing things. So it was, it was, it probably, and there wasn't enough enjoying going on from my end. I mean, I was enjoying our success, obviously, and enjoying, but I never really could be as involved in it as much as I really like to because other things were happening. Sure, sure. So we had success, but the beauty of all this is uh, we had, with Bob being at the helm and with Ed Pink doing his job, just like Sonny Meyer did his job and Don Edmonds did his job, the heavy lifting was done. And my job was, I, I, I worked on sponsors and worked on just nice things that we did for the sponsors and tried to get, help a little bit defraying the cost and, and use my, my abilities there. Um, and, but the real, but this, looking back on it now, I probably didn't get, didn't plan the enjoyment factor or didn't carve out a wedge of that as much as I should have, probably. Yeah, I, I remember uh, talking to Bob one time. This was years after you guys had already, you know, I don't even know if you were still running at this time, even with the, the spike deal. I, you may have already been done by that bad time, too. And I said something to Bob, and he goes, well, he said, we won a lot. He said, but, boy, I sure hated calling Steve when we did win. Oh, he, that's true. He said, yeah, the Bob yeah. was a – he – and he he did hate to do that. Yeah, uh, he did. But, but, I mean, I could tell when he told he, me. Huh? I could tell when he told me that he. No, I mean, he, he and, and, yeah. But he. But I, during that time period, I can't I can't ever remember one time we was ever crossways either of us, and uh, we we won. I mean, people would be happy with half of what we won. You won them all, Steve. Well, you won them all. You won well, the last. You won the last Ascot. Yes. You won the. I mean, you won Belleville. Yes. You won the Hud Hundred. And oh, I mean, yes. yeah. Eldora. I mean, you won them. Yeah, we did. You won them all. The only one that the only one that seems like you <laughs> got away from you, and I think it's because you didn't, because you didn't uh, concentrate on because the USAC points is Chili Bowl. Is the only no, one I think we, got well, away. No, there was no, there was no, not wasn't points. Here, here was the deal on that. Okay. And this is the deal. We ran once with Fox because mm -hmm. he, had, he had a girlfriend. There's a lot of times we ran places where he had girlfriends. <laughs> or one. And, and there had something going on. So we ran once with him and made the main and ran mid-pack. And that was probably, so Fox was, that wreck was 94. So that must have been somewhere early 90s. We went down. Okay. But Chili Bowl was usually a week or two before Copper World. Phoenix, that's right. And the one thing that that I felt to contribute to Bob is on pavement to test, and and mm -hmm. and Bob liked that because whether it was an IRP or wherever we would work, whatever pavement, Winchester, Salem, we would always test, mm -hmm. and that really helped because Bob, a lot of guys, a lot of people go test. And run around and want to turn a quick lap, but, but Bob could watch the car, the attitude of the car. Oh, we got to stiffen this up. If I extend this bar out, if I do this, so the next week we go back, he make would make a change. Mm -hmm. So uh, for Copper World, he all, we'd always build new cars, new pavement cars. They'd be brand new, spanking new. 
And and the copper world format, they, the midgets got two practice sessions, two half hour sessions, takes 15 minutes to shove them off. There's always a yellow flag. So you get three green laps. Right. So, so we, we, for, we, instead of do, making chili, because chili bowl, you have to make a commitment there too. I mean, it wasn't sure. as bad as it is now where you have to really make the commitment, but you still, if, if we're making a chili bowl commitment, that would hurt the copper, copper commitment. So we made the copper world our commitment. And people have to understand that chili bowl wasn't what the chili bowl is today. I mean, well, it was fun, it was but the fun. copper world, copper world was uh, we, copper uh, world was a hell of an event, and it, yeah. I'm so sad it's gone. Yeah, because that have, that was really special. Yeah, yeah. Was, and the and the old Dennis Wood, that's his. He's the genius behind that. Right. And uh, I have some pictures here in this little scrapbook of some of the early copper, like the, the, our first copper world win was 1980 with Fox in a quail car. And the mm -hmm. old front bleachers straightaway for the midget race packed. You can't find an empty spot. I have a picture. I mean, I forgot. I mean, the, Dennis Wood packed them in there and the campers, were, the whole infield was full of campers. And eventually they camped outside, uh, turns one and two out, out there. I mean, you know, the, Dennis Wood, deserves a lot of what's the word some accolades and pats on the back for what he created there and the purses were good too for all oh of the yeah three or four divisions and there and it was televised right yeah i just uh i, I love going to the copper world uh, i love midgets on the big tracks and i realized today nobody wants to run the big tracks uh but man i i oh, love I, that. I mean that, that that those 25 or 30 lappers whatever they were like you just, I mean, it's good. I mean, it, yeah, it just, it, I mean, that would get my blood pumping. I mean, when we're at the miles, uh, whether it's Springfield Mile or, or Copper World or Milwaukee, man, I loved it. I loved every bit of it. Yeah. That, um, so, you know, you, you've done all this winning and, you, and you've. Have we put people to sleep yet? Are we live? Oh, no, we're not live. No, we're. No, 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 we're not live. <laughs> People are snoring. You, no, you, uh, you've done all this winning. And then, you know, and it's, and I, you know, and I really don't even know the true reason why either. At some point, uh, you and Bob part ways. And then, then the winning isn't, I mean, you still win, but it isn't the same. Um, what, I mean, at that time period where you, are you kind of looking at the sport like, man, I, I've kind of done everything here. Do I, do I really just keep going and going and going and going? Okay, this is a difficult part of the story. Um, and I know Bob has his feelings about it. We had Ford, a commitment from Ford backing for the Ed Pink program. And they were, they were, providing some help with Ed and providing some help with us. And uh, we were using these Aries blocks and mm -hmm. we were developing more and more and more and more horsepower. And the block just couldn't take it. The sleeves were slipping down or there'd just be, it was just too much. And so Ed said, we need a block. And so Ed went to Ford and I went to Ford and we, needed some upfront money for the 
for some of the design, Ed had a in-house engineer. Uh, the designing was one thing, but the casting and the machining part. And, and so the, we asked for some support on that. And they did give us some support, okay? But not quite enough. So we built, we had, I think five or six blocks. We built the new engines and they were okay but they, there was a heating problem. We had some heating problems. There were some things and we wanted, and then I had a famous breakfast with Dan Davis and asking, we need a little more help. And he said, this is, you know, and from his perspective, he thought the help that he was given was enough. And Bob, Ed was, uh, not pleased because he, he, he wanted everything perfect and right. And Bob wasn't pleased with some of the stuff we had to deal with that wasn't perfect and right. And by accident, this is all what I'm saying is very true. It's true by accident, uh, Toyota, not by accident, not, they built the V8 engine for the truck series. Mm-hmm. And I got the great idea, why don't they, they, they debut that engine at our PRI show in Indianapolis? So uh, a man by the name of Gary Reed was the Toyota guy that someone like me would talk to about that. And he said, oh yeah, we'll buy a booth. So they buy a booth, must've been 2008 show around in there, or 2006 or seven, maybe. They buy a booth, but we didn't really have anyone. That, it was upstairs by the, by the grand ballroom, wasn't on the floor. It was like a hallway. It's kind of, but there was a 10 by 20 booth. And, and then Larry Slutter had a the V8 truck engine on this engine stand and Toyota Performance. It was more or less a PR. Toyota's entering NASCAR and, and they kind of wanted to have a presence of PRI. And so there's a 10 by 20 booth with this V8 sitting on the stand and Larry Slutter and Gary Reed and other people were in the booth. So halfway through the first day, I thought I should go up there and see those guys and just say hi to them and make sure everything's okay. Cause it's a big account and you knew that this thing was gonna get better. So I go sure. in there and Larry Slutter, you know, he, he's a midget race guy. I don't know if you knew Larry. Oh yeah, all behind the, behind the Pontiac motor and, and well, the Cosworth and the Pontiac and the Cosworth. Yeah. And yeah. the Cosworth and all that. And so, and we, we knew him and he's really a good guy. Uh, you know, like just a really good guy. And so I go up there and say, hi there. Oh, guys, Steve, good to see you. And I, everything goes, oh, this is great. We love this. Oh, okay. And, and I said, you know, I said, I, I don't know why I said it. I don't, I mean, I have no idea. I didn't plan on saying this. I don't remember thinking about it. But I said, you know what? How can we how can we make this into a midget engine? I just said that, and uh, so he said, I don't know. Let me think about that. And that's all it said. So about three or four weeks after that, must have been December, early January, because the show was always the first week of December. But I got a call from some, I don't know if it was from Gary Reed or for somebody at Toyota. They said, are you Steve Lewis? He says, yeah. I said, well, we want to have a meeting to discuss the idea about a midget engine. 
so we want you to bring Ed Pink. Okay, all right, so I call Ed up. And it's all these guys that are always there, you know, you can't trust him. I said, just, we gotta go drive, we gotta go down there. So he comes down from Van Nuys and we meet at 11 o'clock on Baker Street. Anyway, so that's kind of how it started. And the Toyota initially wanted this to be no one to know about it. And we had to sign non-disclosure, non you know, papers. Sure, yeah. Sure. And I didn't tell Bob about the meeting. Now, mm. there's it can be debated whether I did right or wrong on that, but I didn't tell him about the meeting right yet because I wasn't supposed to tell anybody, but probably I made a mistake there. I, I can, it could be, it's a 50-50. Right. So the second meeting we went to, uh, they, they, they gave, Ed the head, which was on the box on the table, and they gave him the head to look at and evaluate. And Ed says a good head. And by the third meeting, they the deal was made to where they would do the engine. And that's when I told Bob then. Simultaneously, and this is simultaneously, uh, Bobby got a deal with Ford. Right. On the truck yep. series with the Bud Moore team. And it was the, I think, actually Bob's allegiance was to his son. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I made it difficult for him to want to stay with the team. We, we asked him, we asked, I mean, he, he, but he just said, Steve, I can't do this. And he was not happy about it, I think, because he, he didn't want to see the relationship. I don't think he had any reason to have this thing go sideways but so he that's kind of why that happened well you had what a 14 roughly a 14 year run in auto racing i mean that's more pretty that. unheard of from 80 well from 79 yeah. well i'm sorry 20 like 24 years sorry 24 years. Like, like 24 years that's that's almost unheard I mean, of with bob with bob probably yeah with bob probably 18 or 19 years yeah so i mean that's Shoot, I mean that's hard to do. Um, yeah, and it, it was uh, it was always so strange seeing that because then you switched cars and you went to the spike with well, the great was, John Godfrey. And, the, uh, you know, uh, we we kept the pavement cars. We, we had sure, yeah. pavement car, and we we won all. We won. I think we won eight races with the Toyota, seven on pavement, and one on dirt. I think Davey Ray right. won. Either Davy or Darla, I can't remember which. Um, we did okay with it. I'm going to say okay. Uh, and then 2008, the whole world changed with the economic mess of the banks. Right. And yeah. Toyota, they were supporting us big time. I mean, with a very strong program, and they wanted to diminish it. And I didn't want it diminished. And so then that's when that stopped. And that was all probably, I mean, everything's the way it is. Sure. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do, right? I mean, that's yeah. life and business and everything else. That, you know, um, kind of one thing I like to do on this show is, uh, especially with people who've been around the sport for quite some time, like with a driver, I'll ask about other drivers of their era. Uh, 
with you, I'm going to ask, uh, ask this question a little different way. And this is almost kind of paying tribute to some of the drivers you had that unfortunately are no longer here with us. Um, and I just wanted to kind of ask you what it was like to work with some of these, these who were young men when you worked with them. Um, so the first one I'm going to ask is Kenny Irwin. Okay. He, he, Kenny was, uh, the most dedicated to, 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 to wanting to better himself and improve his craft. He would read, listen, talk, grab, he asked questions. He like, when I think Tony Stewart, was, he was naturally put, he had a natural, something was in him. He was just naturally could figure this whole thing out. Kenny had to work at it, but he was totally dedicated to work at it. And, and got right. really good at his craft. Right. You know, he ran for his dad, they, they did very well. And then he, with our deal, he, every time he sat in that car, if he didn't win the race, it was like, and then, and because he wanted, he wanted to contribute. Yeah, we wanted to contribute to the, the betterment of the team. He also wanted to make sure he also had his career in mind. He was, and he was really the, a good driver, a nice person. And, you know, it's just a shame that it happened what happened there. But he, he was, he really, he gave it his all every time. Yeah. I knew Kenny a little bit. And yeah, I, I can absolutely agree with that. Um, Jason Leffler. Okay, Jason. Uh, we knew about Jason. Uh, Through the Joneses, I'm sure. Larry Joneses Howard. Yeah, Larry, you know, Larry Howard helped because Larry Howard was kind of connected there. And so, so Jason kind of went the Larry Howard way initially. And then he had his own Mizzy bought a beast from Bob and him and his dad ran it for a season. And then he got hooked up with Keith Coons and Pete. Pete Willoughby. Pete yeah. Willoughby. So we, I don't can't remember exactly. We were probably a little slow on the uptake with Jason. And so that's why, because he had one of Bob's cars and, uh, was doing pretty good at it and we we were a little slow on the uptake on the first pass and then he went with pete the, the two seasons and really did well i think he matured a lot with pete and keith too what i think he matured a lot in that yeah, time with pete right. i mean keith. keith probably and it's true because what he's doing now he's one of the best to, to on the, the program oh, tuners. Yeah. Yeah. and that was a good thing i mean and the cars were good i mean spike was Good then, whatever they were using. I think it was Spike. Stealth. No, they had stealth cars. Stealth, stealth. Anyway, yeah. so, you know, but th th we missed it on the first time, but then eventually we, you know, we talked to him and got him back. Right. Uh, Dave Steele. Now, I, I never really knew Dave. I talked to him a couple times. He was uh, different from all the other drivers. Is that he was first? He knew as much about setting up the cars, the pavement cars, as Bob did. Now he let Bob. He didn't. There were never like arguments, right? But Dave knew as much about things. So a lot of the other drivers just, you know, were good. Like Dave Darling, you know, he just stood on the gas. Tony knew about the setups, but most, but but Dave was probably the smartest or the most accomplished in terms of understanding the physics of the race car and what did what and why. And he was very independent 
and it didn't take much. If something went a little bit haywire, he didn't didn't want to, he didn't want to deal with the haywire, and he just you know that was it. But but in terms of doing his job, you know he, he we won quite a few races with him. Um, but he did hit and miss. He didn't we didn't never never had him for a full season. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, last but definitely not least, the man who kind of started it all, Stan Fox. Oh, Stan was he's unique from a lot of perspectives. If he would have, uh, we all, Bob said this, and I agree with him. If Stanley would have focused 100% on rate, 100%, not 40%, but if he was, he would have been, could have been a Rick Mears, could have been Jeff Gordon, it could have been a, a lot of, I mean, he had the talent, and the, the inner, the inner strength and the cerebral approach to the whole process Stanley had. But he had he had a lot of things going on. He had his worked a lot for his brother's business. He was involved in that. He liked having fun, and having fun was very important. And uh, and he didn't he didn't want to be nailed down. He did like if it, to run a season, he felt nailed down, and he did, he wanted to, never wanted to be tethered to something. Right. So and he had his dream to run the five hundred. Mm-hmm. And he ran seven times. He ran pretty good there, actually. Um, and so he he was the most unique of all. I'm just special, very special, and a real and a good guy too. Smart. I always felt like Stan was probably the greatest money racer, uh, especially of his era. Like when the money was on the line, that would get Stan's. That that's when you want to stand in the car. I'll tell you a story, I'll tell you a story about that. So when we had Stanley and Stevie, my deal with Stanley, because I couldn't go to all the races when, when we did the thing with Edmonds, you know, I bought, I bought the car and the engine and off we went. But Stanley brought the, the uh, Dennis Kirk van and the trailer. So I said, okay, Stanley, our deal with Stanley, when it was decided that he was going to run to next season, is that you get 100% of the purse, but you pay all expenses. And, and all, you know, if you need a radius rod, then we'll all provide that. So that was our deal with Stanley. And, and because he liked that, because that was an incentive program. And so that's, you're right. He, he, and then he chose all the big purse races because he came out better there. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So that, so that was part of that reason. I mean, I supported his concept kind of maybe accidentally but it, it, it enhanced, like, that's why sometimes going to Granite City, Granite City, it wasn't as a, for a 2500 USAC win. If some, if there's a 5,000 somewhere else, we'd go somewhere else with Stanley. Right. Okay. So then we bring Reeves in and Reeves is on the 50-50 deal, the normal deal. And Janice East was supposed to be the bookkeeper. So we'd have a pile of Hoosier tires. And this pile was the Stanley pile. And he paid for the this that pile was those are Stanley's tires. These tires over here were the C Reeves tires. And so Janice had this, she was always running around the clipboard, you know, making sure that because with Stanley, you know, with Stevie, you know, we pay for the tires. Stanley paid. So we and she was pretty good at that. And so this was going on for that half that maybe. That one season where Stevie ran hit and miss, and then '92 when he ran every race, and then one 
then Janice raised a question. She says, this is crazy because I spend hours and hours and, and then St Stanley argues and no, I didn't do that. <laughs> and he, she said, we just got to put Stanley. We got to put them both on the same. And Bob said, I don't, I don't have any problem with that. And I said, well, well so uh, I don't know what, how this happened, but the, we had a meeting at the old Speedway uh, hotel there. Sen had a room there. I don't know if he was testing with Floyd. And we had lunch in the country club where we had a toasted cheese sandwich or something for lunch. And so we didn't bring up this idea at lunch. And then we went back to Stanley's room and Bob said, we, we need to talk some stuff, talk some stuff. So we go back to Stanley's room, it's upstairs. And he had his daughter with him and she's bouncing up and down on the bed. And so, uh, well, what are we talking about, Bob? What are we talking about? Well, Stanley, uh, Maybe I, I don't know, it was Bob or both of us together. You know, Stanley, you know, we want we want we want to put you on the same deal as Reed, 50-50, and we'll do this and do that. He had his briefcase on the bed. He put something in the briefcase, shut up, like that. I quit. I'm out. You know, we never got into explaining why we were doing this. We said we just want to make this change. And when we said, you know, we're gonna go from you getting everything to 50-50, he just he had something like his dark glasses that put his beach face and grabbed his daughter and heads out the door. He quit. <laughs> so that wasn't quite the reaction we wanted. Right. <laughs> I'm so sure. we said, let we come back. We, 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 that was a really bad idea, Sally. So we, totally <laughs> we went back to the old way. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I can tell you that. From my standpoint, you, uh, I mean, we didn't even get into your business side and how you kind of really, um, I mean, the PRI show, I owned a small parts business for a long time and uh, I knew what the, the PRI show meant to me. I used to get those catalogs every month. Yep. Uh, I think we still get them. Yep, still, uh, still get them. I get them. And, I'm <laughs> and um, you know, everything that you've meant to auto racing, not just midget racing, uh, you really have left your mark, and uh, not many of us can say that, but you sure have. Well, we, had and, good, uh, we had a good time doing that, doing that stuff. Um, and you know, I just want to say, you know, from a personal standpoint, always admired everything you and Bob did. Uh, like I said, we we had a car and we would try to compete with you guys. Very very rarely were we ever successful at it, but boy, I sure admired you guys. No, we. we in that era, now I, I, that era, they probably had 30, 35 races a year, kind of divided, maybe say 25 to 30 races a year, about half and half pavement and dirt. We would yeah. win, I think a couple of seasons we won 10. We didn't win every race. Now we won a, a good portion of the races, but other people win races too. I mean, Keith, yeah. Keith's program was strong. You know, there was a lot of people you know, Ryan Newman that one year when he had that little... Uh, we had the driving car and they'd go test and they'd run Winchester and well, RP and Salem. Times, I think he ran eight times with that car and he ran one seven of them. Right. One Colorado, yeah. I know he runs that put about 500, he runs Winchester. Uh, he, he ran that car eight times. And I think... One, so, I mean, there was other people doing good things too. Um, so, I mean, we... You know, I think... We just the, the, everything kind of lined up a little bit. You know, Bob's approach, his little chassis was 
far superior than anything else at that time. And he kept, because we tested on pavement, kept developing, he could stay ahead. You know, a lot of owners, it's weird. They don't want to, oh, don't, I, I don't want to try that. You know, in other words, right. well, I, didn't, I didn't have that. You know, let's try, let's do all these things. And Bob had a free, he was free to make a mistake. I mean, sometimes it didn't work. You know, he come up with something, but sure. okay, so fine, but no points off. Right, more yeah. Times, but, but by trying and doing something, uh, like we were the first to have use uh, data acquisition. Oh, I remember. On the car. I remember, yeah. And, and stuff like that. Uh, so all those things helped. Oh, so sure. we were talking a little bit about some of the, obviously some of the big names you guys, some of the people have turned into superstars that drove for you. How many of those situations would you say, I mean, was it more like you guys were just looking for rising talent? And, and then again, I don't know at what point in some of these people's careers you actually got them driving for you, but I mean, was it more like you guys were just looking for rising talent and they just kind of blossom into uh, a superstar think, with their team okay, or? Each, okay. The, each driver, there was a different story of how the, we didn't have a template. Each driver, there was a different, okay. Fox was already in the program to begin with because of the New Zealand thing with Bob. So Fox, mm -hmm. so Fox was the first one because he was the first one and, and he was mature and, and Bob felt sure. that he could do more, really help, you know, spread the good word about the beast program by winning races. Stevie Reeves, Fox, we saw Reeves run at Winchester in the Wilkie car, and we saw Reeves run places. He was really good. And Fox sort of helped with that one. He brought, he suggested Reeves, because he, he thought that Reeves, he and Reeves could get along. And Fox was like the, the mother, you know, the cat that wanted to make sure, or the, you know, the, okay, this is my own territory, but okay, Reeves, you can come in here, okay? Uh, Bob, brought Chuck Gurney in to run those copper worlds because Bob mm -hmm. had a relationship. And so that's Bob, you know, Bob contributed with Chuck. Uh, Janice East saw the commotion at IRP uh, with the Potters and, and Stewart one night when something happened and, and somehow suggested to Bob that get Tony in here because he looks like he's, he's that, that's a rocky situation. So Janice East made a contribution there. Uh, Tony Stewart suggested Kenny Irwin. Uh, Bob really liked Dave Darlin because Bob, yeah. I think Bob's way of racing and how he was brought up with CRA and when he ran out here, he saw a lot of himself and Dave. And he, we got Dave to do hit and miss with us when we had a spot. And so Bob, that was Bob, and he, he engineered that. Mike Bliss was pretty much Bob because the Blisses were customers and we just used Bliss again, hit and miss when he was really good. I had a great payment driver. Man, oh, awesome payment driver. Very good. I, I think he ran like 10 times and I think he went seven or 10 or something like Winchester, wow. IRP and Louisville, wherever we ran. Okay. I believe that. So th th this is kind of how, you know, you know, Casey came to us in an interesting way. And, it, but each, each, each one has a little story. Sure. You know, like yeah, JJ sure. Yaley filled in, you know, uh, Dave got hurt in the sprint car. And then so 
so JJ filled in and then then he became a full-time. So a little, it wasn't like, okay, well, here's a template and they got to fit into the template. Each, each right. driver, each situation, it had its own little story. Well, they were all unique to each other. There was very few of them that you could say, oh, that guy's kind of like this guy. They all had their different strengths and yeah. and prowess. Um, yeah. You know, and Dave, and I left Dave out a while ago. We we're talking about him and man, Dave Darling, you know, I left him out a little bit earlier mentioning him. You know, everybody knows how great Dave is. He, he's the, Dave actually become a pretty decent pavement driver, too. They, the, yeah, yeah the, he won that turkey night race in, with the Toyota at, at Irwindale. And I think that was a that was something where that was fun, fun, because, you know, he'd won a couple pavement races. He won a Salem race. I think he won a uh, speed drum. No, oh, no. Uh, what did he where they have a little 500, Anderson. He might have won a race there. But winning that turkey night deal was big. Sure. For Dave. He won yeah. He won 27 features. He's He won most most features. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I did not realize that. Um, as you mentioned earlier, I'm wearing the Paige Jones shirt. Uh, to the people out there, I've had this shirt since the day Paige gave it to me. I have never worn it except for tonight. Oh and goodness. this will be the last time I wear it. It'll go into a frame. Um, how did Paige come to you guys? Is okay. that to Bob or? No. Well, yes. Yes and no. Okay. So Paige was very alert when we started really running good. It's kind of full time, like more of the, he, he never ran a full season. He ran some sprint cars. He ran some stock cars. He ran the midget. He was running with Larry Howard. Right. Larry Howard had a really good program, uh, a good motor program, and he had the, his little cars. And um, he also had a uh, – see, Bob used to work for Larry Howard. And yeah. that's what, a lot of what Bob – a lot of the success that Larry Howard has, I think, is the result of Bob, too. Anyway, so – but they had Paige, and they had a good Copper World program. Oh, yeah. They had a great Copper World program. They did. So, uh, all right. So we asked Paige about would he be interested, and he was. I'm going to say lukewarm. He didn't just come. I would say maybe slightly less than lukewarm. We and then we even talked to Parnelli about it a little bit, and nothing. They were very satisfied with they thought they had better deal and and then some you could say in some ways they might have at that moment they were really close or might have been better then the famous last the first race when fox when we went there and he started dead last he won the race with no yellows he passed right. page with five laps to go that's when it changed so then we had a little leverage and so we, he said he'd run with us, but only he could run night four to five runner. He could run. In. It was only like five or six races a year. It wasn't like, like he was going to be the full time guy. It was going to he was going to be a fill in thing for him. So that's kind of how that happened. Yeah, I've got that trophy here somewhere from that night before the five hundred where he ran second to Ted Hines. Um, you know, again. Uh, Aaron, do you have any more questions for this gentleman? I was going to ask one thing. So as we were kind of saying before, when when you say nine racing to someone or, you know, the the red nines or whatever, 
the first thing people always say is they won a lot of races and a lot of championships, including Scott. <laughs> so sad. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, what when people look back, you know, years from now, the legacy of nine racing is—is is that how you want people to remember kind of the legacy of it, or is there something else you want people to kind of take away from that? Well, I really know. Never thought much about the legacy part. Um, you know, we put a lot into it. Uh, we had really good people. I mean, engine men, you know, like Earl Gertie, like Ed Pink, uh, mm-hmm. Bob. People really, you know, they really good people. Kelly Drake, the, the, the oh yeah, the, the mechanic. I mean, he was a machinist by trade, and his those cars were they were like little Rolex watches. They were beautifully put together, and I mean, so we had a lot of a lot of help, a lot of really good people. Uh, I just, you know, I ran in a sleepy trip about four years ago at uh, Turkey Night at Ventura, and he came up, oh, it's the guy that ruined midget racing, and he was laughing. And <laughs> I don't want to, I mean, from but he, what Sleepy was saying, and there, and there's some truth to what he, I mean, he actually believes, I think, a little bit what he's saying, but he had a smile when he was saying it, that we did approach it differently. And the reason it was approached differently was Bob had to sell cars, Earl Gertie had to sell engines. And we were, and I was kind of in the middle of all that. And so I, I wasn't as important in the cogs of the, of the machinery because those men had we, had, to, we had to perform. And as a result of our performing, people would buy a Gertie or people would buy a Beast. So the legacy, I, I would just like to think we did a good job and we ran, we were clean. You know, the cars always looked nice. That was something important. That was my, I mean, they, they always were painted yeah. pearl white and the, the, the little red. That nine was designed by Paul Nerum, who was the painter out here, did all the West Coast. He did the tamale wagons and all the, almost all the Edmonds cars were lettered by Paul Nerum and he did, did that nine and what he designed it had that sweeping look to it. Mm-hmm. So I have the tracing of the first of the Nerum nine. I took tracing paper. I have it in my garage here, just trace, you know, trace the original one. So every nine made from then on was the Paul Nerum nine. Uh-huh. But I just, I don't, the legacy is we, we ran hard, we worked hard and then won some races and, had some fun along the way, I guess. I, right now, I think the guy that's just doing—he did was always doing a good job, but it's really taking this whole thing is Keith Coons. Sure. And and he's now operating a business. You know, we didn't we didn't operate it quite as a business. I mean, we had some coming in, but but the outgo was he wouldn't didn't all make quite sense. But Keith is doing what he's doing. I mean, he can take these kids. And in two years, or two or three years, they can win a championship. You know what I mean? And and, sure. and then another cycle comes through, and it gets you know. And he's he's doing a really good job with that now. Uh, I remember he told me one time uh, years ago. He he told me he goes, man, I can't believe how I don't understand how Bob does it. And that's when Bob had your cars, and then all the Silver Crown cars, and the Sprint cars, and he was taking care of all that stuff. And I think I always kind of laugh to myself today. Because you look at his operation today, oh, yeah. it's seven, eight, nine cars a night, oh, yeah. and yeah. you know. But he's run. He's doing uh, a really good job. I mean, there's 
Not, oh, yeah. not one of those drivers can complain about not getting full board deal. I mean, each car has got a guy watching over it. He's got Chuck Gurney Jr. in there helping, and, and Keith is, you know, watching that program. It's a good program. And oh, it's a great program. I mean, uh, you know, they're, they're, depending on how they list the ownership names, they're right there close to uh, your win total. I think it's like 135 or 33 or no, something like gonna, that. They're going to surpass. Yeah, and they're right there, and uh, but you know it's it's uh, it's kind of funny, and this is how small world racing is in a way. For him to be where he is today, it took you talking to Toyota, and kind of yeah. triggering something there. So it's not like I mean I'm not saying you can take credit for their wins today, but if it wasn't for you, they're you know they wouldn't they obviously wouldn't have the Toyota deal no. like they have oh, but, today. But, but Keith. Keith went in there with a program and absolutely uh, he was Esslinger's before that, but he, yep. when he had Esslinger, he was good too. And they had, and Gertie's before that Brayton, yeah. actually they had Brayton, they had those Brayton motors and stuff before that, but which are Gertie's just built yeah. by Brayton. But yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. You're talking about like Gertie motors. One of your old motors, uh, I think still runs a chili bullet. Say it's an old 11 headed motor, old 11 head Gertie. It won a track championship at Montpelier a few years ago. Uh, it's, you know, it's won a couple of features. It's it's funny. That motor just keeps going and going and going. They were good. I mean, they were really good for when they were, they can be good now, but they, we, it, when we kind of got, Earl, the V8, the 410 thing, and the World Outlaws and all that stuff was where the real money was. And he was spending a sure. lot. It, yeah. A lot of time and in, in investment on this program. It wasn't the the numbers weren't there, so we kind of lost a little interest in it, and that's when we had to kind of make the change. Well, I'm not going to take any more of your time. That's okay. I uh, I, I appreciate everything you've done in the sport, even the nights you made my life rough trying to compete against you. But that's <laughs> what it's about because you made us all better. Well, uh, everybody in the everybody in the pits today is better today because of what you and Bob did, and I thank you for that, and I thank you for everything you've done with the PRI show, and I just want to say, oh, okay, thank you. Well, I appreciate your kind words. I mean, we did the best we could do. I, we had a, a PRI like with with Bob and Ed and Kelly. We had a really good group of people there. I mean, an amazing group. There were twenty five people there hardworking and we and they did you know we promoted races and we did crazy things and yeah and uh they deserve as much credit i mean we we were lean and mean and worked hard and had fun and they what you saw at the show was reflective of their contribution yeah i and uh what a great contribution it's been. And, and thank fun. you so much. Okay. Yeah, I really appreciate your time, Steve.